The Guardian. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Andrew George. Uh, question one, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Andrew George. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, the NHS faces massive reorganisation whilst at the same time seeking the greatest savings in its 62-year history. Respected professional medical bodies warn that, uh, that, that, that giving... Uh, Warn, warn about the risks of, uh, to public service of giving, of giving private companies the easy pickings. Before pursuing this gamble, will the Prime Minister carefully reflect, informed both by the clinicians and also by the, the coalition programme which we agreed last May? We will, we will listen very carefully to the professionals, but the reason for making modernisation of the NHS such a priority is simply this. We have now in this country European levels of health spending, but we don't have European levels of success in our health service. And, uh, of course, what we want to see is a level playing field for other organisations to come into the NHS. What we won't have is what we had from Labour, which was a rigged market. Mr Speaker, does the Prime Minister think it is a sign of success or failure that unemployment is rising and employment is falling? Well, of course, every increase in unemployment is a matter for huge concern, and that is why we are launching the biggest back-to-work programme that this country has ever seen in the work programme. What I would say about the figures today, of course, there are some very disappointing figures, particularly on youth unemployment, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in a moment. But there are some mixed pictures because the claimant count has gone down for the third month in a row. The number of vacancies is up. And also, the average of independent forecasters published today see growth revised upwards. Now, the biggest task for this government and, frankly, for this country is to get to grips with the long-term structural problem of youth unemployment that has been going up for years in our country and that went up by 40% under Labour. Mr Speaker, after that complacency, when 50,000 people have lost their jobs... It's no wonder they rumbled him in Oldham, Mr Speaker. The the truth is he is is cutting too far and too fast, and it is British people who are paying the price. Now, youth unemployment, he mentioned youth unemployment, is at its highest level since 1992, yet he is abolishing the Future Jobs Fund, and and the new programme doesn't even come into force until the middle of the year. After these figures, why doesn't he change his mind, reinstate the Future Jobs Fund and help create an extra 100,000 jobs this year? Well, well, first of all, I think it is a good idea to listen to the answer before you read out your next question. Let me deal, first of all, first of all, let me deal specifically with the Future Jobs Fund. We looked very carefully at the Future Jobs Fund and we found that it was expensive, it was badly targeted and it didn't work. We now have, we now have the figures for the Future Jobs Fund. It was five times more expensive as some other employment programmes. It lasted for six months, and within one month, within one month, 50% of those taking part were back on benefits. Hardly, hardly any of the jobs, 
hardly any of the jobs under the Future Jobs Fund were actually in the private sector. The scheme in Birmingham, for instance, had just 2% of its jobs in the private sector. Far too many were make-work jobs in the public sector, and they weren't solving the problem. Jane Ellison. Um, this week, a, a parents' campaign group in Battersea moved a big step closer to starting a new free school. Their campaign is supported by Wandsworth Council and enjoyed cross-party support before the general election. And yet, I hope my right honourable friend can join with me, not only wishing the new Bolingbroke Academy well, but in saying to the unions and other people running a campaign of vilification Absolutely. against those parents, yeah. time to back off. Yeah. I think the Honourable Lady speaks for many in supporting opening up our education system and saying to academies and to free schools, you are welcome to come in and provide a great education for free to children and to parents in our country. And I have to say it's a very big choice for the party opposite whether they stick with the programme of reform, opening up education, or whether they side with the trade unions. Chris Bryant. Leaked figures that I've managed to get hold of show... That the, show that the police forces calm down. <laughs> show that the police forces in Wales are going to have to cut their numbers by 1,600 police officers and staff. And the South Wales Police Force told me this morning that just in that one force, 688 officers are going to have to disappear. The Prime Minister said on the 2nd of May last year that any frontline cuts he would outlaw. Why is he backing down on his promise? Well, I find the best way of, of, of the best way of calming down is reading the normal gentleman's poetry. I find that uh, very instructive. Look, all police forces are facing a difficult financial settlement. I accept that. The context for all of this is the vast budget deficit we were left and the huge mess we have to clear up. I have the figures for the South Wales Police Force. Next year, they have to find a five percent cut. That will take them back not to some figure of the 1980s, that will take them back to the spending they had in 2007-2008. Now, the Her Majesty's Inspectorate of Constabulary have said it is quite possible to make those sorts of reductions. I think if he's got, if he wants to ask a question, frankly, he should have the manners to listen to the answer. Just, just... The fact is, Her Majesty's Inspectorate said it is possible to achieve those reductions while not losing frontline officers, and that's what needs to be delivered. Julian Brazier. Would my right honourable friend agree that the reform programme that we have on Social Security is the first serious attempt since Beveridge to get back to the principle that, to coin a phrase, we should be offering people a hand up and not a hand out. But my honourable friend is entirely right. This is a very bold and radical reform that basically will mean that every single person who's on welfare will always be better off in work or will always be better off doing more hours of work. And I think even the party opposite would accept that so many of the reforms have simply just moved the poverty trap up the income scale. And we should always make it worthwhile for people to work harder or to work more. And that's what our reforms will do. David Simpson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Fuel prices in Northern Ireland currently average 135 pence a litre and rising, forcing many motorists 
to go into the Republic of Ireland to fill their vehicles, which is a major loss to the British Exchequer. Would the Prime Minister consider introducing a similar scheme of that in Scotland of a rural rebate scheme in Northern Ireland because of the Latin border? Well, I do understand the problems of uh, cross the, the cross-border issue that he raises, and also the problem of fuel smuggling, which has been a real uh, problem uh, between Northern Ireland and the Republic. Uh, the Chief Secretary of the Treasury will have heard what he said about asking for that scheme to be expanded that was in the budget. And obviously, we are looking hard at how we can help families and motorists with their fuel and motoring bills. But what I would say is this. Everyone should remember the last four increases in fuel duty were all put through from the last Labour budget. Jake Berry. I know, like me, the Prime Minister is a fan of the teaching of British history in schools. Does he think when the political history of the last 13 years is written, it will advise pupils to borrow, borrow, borrow through the boom or learn from Labour's mistakes? I hope, uh, I hope that we can get into the curriculum the idea that you should fix the roof while the sun is shining. And it is interesting what we heard at the weekend from the right honourable member. He's now had nine months to digest Labour's mistakes, and he's come up with the answer. They didn't spend too much, they didn't borrow too much, and his message to the British people is, vote for me and we'd do it all over again. Mr Speaker, can the Prime Minister guarantee that under his NHS plans, hospital waiting times will not rise? We want to see waiting times and waiting lists come down. And what, I'd say, what I would say to the right honourable gentleman is the whole aim of these NHS reforms is to make sure we get the value for the money we put in. Now, I have to ask him. It's quite clear now that Labour... Don't I apologise for interrupting the Prime Minister. At last week's Prime Minister's questions, a 10-year-old constituent of mine came and observed and asked me afterwards, why do so many people shout their heads off? It's rude and it shouldn't happen. The Prime Minister. I'd uh, love to know what your answer was, Mr Speaker. Um, look, the point is this. We are putting the money in, £10.6 billion extra during this Parliament, money which, by the way, the Labour Party doesn't support. But we want to get value for that money because, frankly, today we don't have the right cancer outcomes. We don't have the right outcomes in terms of heart disease. We want to do better. Now, is he in favour of reform or is he going to oppose it all? Mr Speaker, I notice he didn't answer the question. Patients want to know something quite simple. How long will they have to wait for treatment? Because they all remember waiting for years under the last Conservative government. And they know that we have the shortest waiting times in history because of what the last Labour government did. Now, now if he thinks his reforms are so good, why can't he give us a simple guarantee that waiting times will not rise? I tell you how waiting times will rise if we stop putting the money into the NHS. Yes, and this is what his shadow, his shadow chancellor isn't here today, but what his shadow chancellor said about our spending plans to increase NHS spending by more than inflation every year, he said there is no logic or rationale to it. That is the answer. You get investment in the NHS from this coalition government, you'd get cuts from the party opposite. Yeah. 
Mr. Speaker, he can't make a guarantee because he's abolished the guarantees. He's abolished the guarantees that Labour brought in, like the 18-week waiting list guarantee. He's taking the national out of the national health service. Now, now patients are worried. Doctors and nurses say his reforms are extremely risky and potentially disastrous. Why is he so arrogant to think he is right and all of the people who say he is wrong are wrong? Well, first of all, the right honourable gentleman is simply wrong about what he said. The waiting time points that he made are written into the NHS constitution and will stay under this government. So, first of all, he's wrong. The second point is we won't be able to get waiting times down, we won't be able to improve uh, in our public health in this country unless we cut the bureaucracy in the NHS. That is what this is about. Now, we are spending £1.4 billion one-off to save £1.7 billion every year. That will save £5 billion by the end of this Parliament. If you oppose the reforms, where's that money going to come from? Mr Speaker, he obviously hasn't noticed. People aren't convinced by his reforms. Even, Even the GP sitting on his own benches says this is like tossing a hand grenade into the NHS. It isn't, isn't the truth, Mr Speaker, that just like on every other issue, we get broken promises from this Prime Minister? He's breaking his promise on no top-down reorganisation of the NHS. He's breaking his promise on, no re- on a real terms rise in NHS funding. He's breaking his promise on a promise of 3,000 more, more midwives. And he's breaking his promise to put patients first. It's the same old story. You can't trust the Tories on the NHS. The same old, usual, feeble, pre-scripted lines. <laughs> he he practises them, them every week. I'm sure they sound fantastic in the bathroom mirror. The fact, the fact is, as we can see, this government is putting the money into the NHS. They don't support that. This government is cutting the bureaucracy in the NHS. They don't support that. This government is reforming the NHS so we got the best in Europe. They don't support that. So that is his policy. No to the money, keep the bureaucracy, don't reform the NHS. I'd go back to the blank sheet of paper. Mr Bob Russell. I want to hear Mr Russell, Bob Russell. Prime Minister. Our government says it wants to help disabled people back to work. Two years ago, my constituent, Mr Robert Oxley, father of four, had a serious motorcycle accident resulting in one leg being amputated and the other leg no longer functions. A year later, he recovered. His firm gave him back his job, which he's continued for a year through disability allowance and motability. Regrettably, those in charge including callous cretins on the tribunal, have taken away his DLA, his motorbility car, on Monday. He is now out of work, or will be. Could I ask the Prime Minister, where in that story do the words fairness and all in it together feature? I am very happy to take up the Honourable Gentleman's case. We have all, in our constituencies, seen cases where tribunals have come to conclusions that completely fly in the face of common sense. And I'm very happy to take up that case and have a look at it and see what can be done. We should, 
we should do what we can to help disabled people, particularly with the mobility needs that they have. I know, I know having filled out those forms myself, just how soul-destroying and complicated it can be and how much we need to help people who can't get around to make sure they do. Tony Lloyd. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The, the uh, Prime Minister will be aware that my constituents in inner city Manchester have some of the worst health and brutally die younger than people in other parts of the country. If he won't give a guarantee about waiting lists nationally, will he make a solemn and binding pledge to my constituents that at least for the inner cities, waiting lists will not go up either in numbers or in time? Yes. The pledge I would make is this. As he's just revealed, we have health inequalities in our country that are as bad as Victorian times. Now, we've had that. We've had that after a decade. Let's be frank about this. We've had that after a decade of increased money into the NHS, but we're not getting it right. That's the reason for carrying out these reforms. If you just stay where we are, which now seems to be the policy of the party opposite, we're going to lag behind on cancer. We're going to lag behind on heart disease. We're going to have a situation where his constituents will die younger than mine because we don't have a fair system. Let's reform it and sort it out. Sir Peter Tapsell. Did my right honourable friend tell the Prime Minister of France last week that Britain will never permit fiscal control of its economy by the European Union? Short answer, yes. (laughs) Helen Goodman. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister has repeated his claim that the government is putting more money into the NHS, and yet the Durham and Darlington Hospital Trust has been told it must make cuts of 16% over the next four years. Why? First of all, let me just remind her that her own Shadow Chancellor said there is no logic... This is an answer. There is no logic or rationale to our policy of real terms increases in the NHS. Now, what we are cutting in the NHS is we are cutting the bureaucracy of the NHS. If you look at the primary care trusts and the strategic health authorities, since 2002, under Labour, their spending increased by 120% on themselves, on their bureaucracy. Now, we can go on spending this money and not put it into patient care and better public health. I think that's wrong. That's why we're making these changes. And Maine. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Severe disruption to train services in the winter of 2009 led to David Cormie carrying out an urgent service and severe weather audit. This winter saw massive disruption of services, with network rail leaving trains stranded south of the river, causing a 75% cut in peak services over Christmas for my constituents. So what steps now is the government going to take to shake up network rail and bring about a radical improvement to our train services? Well, the Honourable Lady makes a very good point, and that's why my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Transport, has commissioned an independent audit of how transport operations performed during the worst weather in December. There are some particular issues we've got to look at, like the frozen third rail that affected so many services, and she's right to call to account network rail and the train operators. We want to make sure they improve the service that they provided and also the way they communicate with the public when things aren't going right. Graham M. Morris. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Does the Prime Minister see the conflict of interest in private healthcare companies, which stand to benefit most from his healthcare reforms, donating £750,000 to the Conservative Party? And is that what he means by we're all in it together? 
let me, let me tell him the big difference that there will be in the health reforms between what we are proposing and what the Labour government did. What the Labour government did was rigged the market in favour of a few hand-picked independent private sector suppliers. That's what they did. What we are saying is there should be a level playing field. And before he complains about it, he should have a look at his own party's manifesto that said, and I quote it almost directly, the private sector should be allowed into the NHS alongside the NHS. Those are the words from the Labour manifesto written by his right honourable friend. Um, will uh, Tony Blair's correspondence with George Bush be published before Mr Blair's next appearance in front of the Iraq inquiry? Yeah. Well, well, my honourable friend will know that this, uh, there is a very long-standing convention, and quite rightly, that a uh, serving Prime Minister does not and cannot order the release of papers that refer to a previous Prime Minister, and that is why the Cabinet Secretary will be looking at this issue, and it is a matter for him. Anyone who is unhappy with the conclusions is clearly able to write to Tony Blair and to make their views known. For my own part, I hope this inquiry can be as open and as clear as possible so we get to the bottom of the very important issues that it's looking at. Lindsay Roy. Thank you, Mr Speaker. As the Prime Minister will be aware, I've spent most of my working life in schools and colleges. I have overwhelming evidence of the benefits of education maintenance allowances, which bring benefits to teenagers from modest backgrounds, both in terms of employability skills and in raising achievement. So can I urge the Prime Minister to go back to his position where he pledged to support EMA so that we can support our economy as we move forward? The problem, as the Honourable Gentleman knows, that we have, we want more people to stay on in school, but we have to look at the current system and how it's working. And the last Labour government commissioned research and found that 90% of those on EMAs would be attending school in any event. And I have to say to him this, we've also got to look at the context in which educational maintenance allowances were introduced to this country. This is what uh, the former Prime Minister, his um, uh, parliamentary colleague, said at the time. We will fund this major advance in educational opportunity from savings we've made from our success in reducing debt. (laughs) Is it any surprise we're having to look at these spending programmes and work out how we get better value for money to clear up the mess that we've been left? As Louise Bagshaw. My constituents in Corby and East Northamptonshire are still suffering today from the disastrous top-down housing targets imposed by the last Labour government. Can my right honourable friend assure me that the localism bill will restore planning power to local people in Corby and in East Northamptonshire? I can give the Honourable Lady that assurance because the whole failure of the top-down housing targets is not only did they create huge unease around the country, but they didn't actually result in the building of very many houses as house building fell to such a low level. So our more local version will make sure that where councils go ahead and build houses, they will benefit from doing so. Tom Clark. Well, we all welcome the comparative calm during the referendum in southern Sudan. Does the right honourable gentleman accept that there are hundreds of thousands of southerners seeking to move from the north back home and will he ensure that they have the maximum protection as well as the maximum of humanitarian aid? 
I think the Honourable Gentleman is quite right to highlight that so far uh, what a relative success this process has been given some of the warnings that were, were made about the dangers of the referendum and the process that was being followed. Part of the reason for that, and I pay tribute to previous governments as well, is that the countries who care about the Sudan and want this to work well have put in a huge amount of effort, including my right honourable friend, the Foreign Secretary, who chaired the key meeting at the United Nations about this. I will certainly listen to what he said, and we should make sure that the movement of people is carried out in the best way possible. Lee Scott. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Would my right honourable friend agree with me that as part of the NHS reforms, we must tackle straight away the fact of senior management in both NHS trusts and PCTs are being rewarded for failure by being promoted or given large payoffs, and it should stop now. My my honourable friend is entirely right. There have been too many occasions where a manager in the NHS has failed in one PCT or one strategic health authority and gone on and failed in another. One of the answers to this is the greater transparency that we are bringing to all these arrangements so people can see how much they are paid, what the results are, how successful they were before they go on and land another well-paid job. Naomi Long. The government has announced this week that it will not be extending the UK rules around political party donations to Northern Ireland at this time. Could I ask the Prime Minister, could he clarify what drove that decision most? Was it the security concerns or was it the lobbying of local parties who simply do not want to be exposed to transparency? Well, I, I will look carefully at what she says. I mean, clearly the situation in Northern Ireland in terms of security is a very difficult and sensitive one at the moment, and the government is giving it a huge amount of time and attention to try and help the devolved authorities in everything they are doing to combat the terrorist threat. But in terms of the specific question she asked, perhaps I can write to her and give her a considered response. Tony Baldry. Um, my, right hon- my right honourable friend will be aware that there have been some pretty disgraceful uh, delaying and filibustering tactics down the other end of the corridor in an attempt to delay the introduction of the AB uh, referendum bill. Will, will my right honourable friend give the House that this government will make no concessions to those who filibuster? I think my honourable friend is entirely right. We should not be making concessions to a uh, bunch mainly of, of former MPs who are supposed to be supporting the right honourable gentleman who wants the AV referendum to take place. So I have to ask him if he's so in favour of this referendum and thinks it's so important and so, and so, and so wants to stand on a platform, how's he lost control of his party? Nick Smith. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Owens Logistics, a haulier from South Wales working in Blyna Gwent, has a fleet of 270 lorries. Last year, they bought nearly 11 million litres of fuel, paying over 6 million in fuel duty. They've shouldered a 14% increase in fuel bills this past year. What's the Prime Minister going to do about high fuel bills? I make two points to the the Honourable Gentleman. First of all, there is the point about the fuel duty increases were all part of the last Labour government's budget. That is a... It's no good good shaking your head. You all supported it and voted for it at the time. But there is another answer, which is we should be looking at Britain's hauliers and seeing how we can help them with a discount for those who are actually British-based. We are looking at that and looking at what can be done, because for many years British hauliers have been disadvantaged against their continental counterparts, and we'd like to put that right. Gordon Birtwistle. 
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Does the, does the Prime Minister agree with me that what has happened, what has happened in Burnley with the closure of our A&E unit and the transfer of a children's ward to Blackburn would not happen when people power takes over with our GPs to change the National Health Service? Uh, the Honourable Gentleman is entirely right. Under the last government and under the previous arrangements, hospital closures and decisions were driven by bureaucrats in Whitehall and in strategic health authorities and PCTs. They didn't depend on the decisions that patients and GPs were making about the structure of health services in this country. That is the big change we're making. In future, the success of your hospital, your health centre, will depend on the choices you make with your GP. That's the big change and it will drive a better health service. The North East illegal money lending team has a record of catching loan sharks, setting up credit unions in Easterside Middlesbrough in order to encourage saving and safe lending. Worryingly, after all this hard work, his government's DCLG website has signposted vulnerable people to loan companies offering rates up to 2,689% APR. In light of this, will the Prime Minister please meet with me to review his decision for the closure of the North East Illegal Money Ending Team? I'm very happy to arrange a meeting between him and the DCLG to discuss this issue. I think there is unity across this House that we should be trying to encourage credit unions and try to get people out of the hands of the loan sharks. That is our policy. That is what we want to do, and I'll happily arrange that meeting. John Whittingdale. Um, can, I, uh, can I very much welcome my right hon. Friend's comments earlier about the localism bill? But can he also confirm that the provisions of the bill will apply to applications for onshore wind farms, such as those in the Denji Peninsula and my constituency, one of which has already been described as being harmful to the local environment and is deeply unpopular with the local community? I can give my uh, honourable friend a positive answer that the localism bill does address this issue and as well as doing that I think it is important that where local communities are affected uh, by things like onshore wind they should make sure that they're going to benefit uh, from uh, those developments and that the, the localism bill brings a whole new approach which I think will much better settle this very difficult debate than what has been done up to now. Clive Efford. Today there is an order before Parliament to prescribe the TPP, the pa Pakistan Taliban. Just one week into his predecessor's term in office as Prime Minister, the Right Honourable Member for Kirkcaldy, the Prime Minister demanded to know why he had not prescribed his book Taria. Just eight months into his term in office, can he explain to the House why he's not fulfilled his manifesto commitment? Yeah. You, you could put it another way around, which is why did the last government have 13 years? 13 years and, and the Pakistani Taliban were never banned. It's taken us eight months to do what you failed to do in 12 years. Order statement, Mr. Norman Baker. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.